0: Hi pod pals and welcome to the very final season of Best Girl Grip. I'm your host Nicole Davis and this is the podcast that navigates the film industry through the lens of the women doing just that. This week's guest is Trisha Tuttle, the head of directing fiction at NFTS and former director of BFI Festivals, where she led on both LFF and Flair. She announced her departure from the role in October 2022, after 10 years at the BFI as festivals director and deputy head of festivals. Prior to that, she held the post of film and skills programme manager at BAFTA and events producer at London's The Script Factory. We talk about her early and passionate love of cinema, moving to London from North Carolina, discovering an interest in exhibition and audiences, her time as director of festivals at the BFI, instating creative vision as well as galvanising a team to deliver LFF and flair year after year, as well as how she designs and delivers a curriculum at NFTS that equips a next generation of directors and offers a broad range of models for creativity and success and how she seeks out new challenges in her career. Trisha is the kind of guest I created Best Girl Grip to speak to. She's someone I've admired and been inspired by from afar for many years, um, especially when I started working at the BFI and attending both LFF and Flair with almost crazed commitment. In fact, I think I started regularly going in around 2016, so many of my best memories of the festival happened while Trisha was overseeing it, all of which to say this was a special one for me, and I really hope you enjoy listening. This is episode 132 of Best Girl Grip. Thank you so much for being here today. I'd love to know in the first instance if there is a person, a moment or an event that you recall that made you want to work in the film industry and and brought that to the forefront of your mind as a possibility.
1: It's really hard to think about a single moment but I was grew up a sort of massive like greedy film fan and always watched movies. I grew up when you know I used to go to the cinema all the time with my family. And also, it was the age of video stores. So I just was constantly watching films. And then sometime in my early teens, I sort of connected the world of adult work and the movies that I loved. And I started to think that I wanted to try to build a career in movies. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And it sort of, I settled on being a producer really early for some reason, you know, 14, 15, I was always absolutely sure I was going to be a producer. But I was trying to think about that. And I I don't know whether it was sort of reading, reading up on on film when I was a kid or what it was. But yeah, I mean, it definitely emerged out of a passionate, passionate love for cinema.
0: Did you have a model for that? Was there a particular producer that you were looking to thinking, I want to make the kind of movies that they're making?
1: It wasn't actually even that articulate. I think it was like just the joy that I took in being in the world world of movies. And, you know, when I say movies, I mean, I grew up as sort of you know, gaudy, populist. For me, it was the world of strip mall cinemas and also video stores. And I think my, my dad, who was a, a passionate movie fan as well, too, sort of gave me a sense that it might be something that I could do. He was a lawyer, but he loved films. He loved all kinds of films and actually made um, a, a few films on Super 8 when he was a kid. And I think that started to interest me in this idea that you you can not only watch them and love them and immerse yourself in the world of being a fan, but also i'll also make the work, but you know mine really was the world of shopping mall cinemas and video stores and you know sort of popular genre films my My dad really loved westerns and you know tough tough guy movies and and horror. And he was a young dad and sort of took me to the movies all the time to see things. So, you know, I, he, he had a dog called Samuel Spade and made me watch Humphrey Bogart films and really, really he made me watch westerns, which I still don't love to this day. But um, I'm glad I'm glad he put me through my cinema paces.
0: And I'm wondering, you know, how you connected the dots, you know, you had this dream. So how did you then go about pursuing it?
1: Well, my first job in the industry was working in a cinema. So I worked in a cinema called the Manor Theatre, and I sold popcorn, and I sold tickets, and I was an usher. And that really was, I think, I mean, I'd had this sort of slightly nebulous sense that I was going to be a producer, or I was going to work in production in some way. But I think that was my first official job. And through that, I met all kinds of interesting people. And shortly after, that was when I was about 17, when I had that job and I went went to film school. But in North Carolina, it, I, I went for a state education in North Carolina, because it was at that time, almost completely free. And there were only a pl- couple places where you could do a sort of practical, any sort of practical elements to, to a film degree. And I went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And that was the place where I really, really started to get a sense of all of the different roles that you could you could have it, in film. I really had a, a very naive sense of like, oh, I just want work on a film set didn't even know necessarily what a producer did at that time but I got a chance to sort of study the industry it was a mixed theory and practical degrees and it was really really great
0: amazing and did you graduate from there with a keen sense of like what your next steps should or could be did you sort of you know know where you're headed after that So I
1: didn't graduate with a really clear sense of what I wanted to do. I mean, I've always had a very eclectic interest in the industry. So watching films, making films, sort of studying and writing about films. So and when I graduated, I also, you know, all through my young teenage years and and my early 20s, I also had a parallel interest in music. And when I graduated, I started playing music, actually, immediately, because I was in a band that was doing quite well. Um, So I knew I would come back to film, but I went with the momentum of the band, spent a few years doing that, continued to sort of voraciously watch um, watch films. And then when the band broke up, I went back to film school. And it was really then that I started to think, okay, what are my next steps? And that was in my sort of mid 20s and I did a master's degree. And actually that's what brought me to the UK. I did a master's degree with the BFI um, in Birkbeck, um, which was incredible. And that was um, taught by Colin McCabe, who worked with Derek Jarman and Isaac Julian and Terence Davies and also Laura Mulvey, the great film theorist. They they were my two teachers. And through working with them, I really started to crystallize what I wanted to do and moved away, very much moved away from wanting to produce and make films to wanting to work in exhibition. Um, And in London too, the exhibition possibilities were so much richer than what I had in North Carolina. You know, film festivals, London Film Festival was a big, big, exciting influence on me. And also what used to be called London Lesbian and Gay Film Festival, which became BFI Flair much later. Those were real, I mean, just such rich experiences. And being able to go to the BFI South Bank, the National Film Theatre, as it used to be called, was was incredible for me as well.
0: Absolutely. I'm starting to see lots of threads that will make themselves known down the line. But I'm wondering as well what the acclimatisation process was like. You know, had your higher education experience in the US, having maybe cut your teeth or learnt about perhaps what film producing was, whether it felt like a bit of a culture shock to come to the UK film industry. Did that feel like a change of pace? Not so much
1: because, I mean, it actually felt like a really rich um, transition because I was always much more interested. I mean, American cinema is very diverse, but obviously dominated by sort of studio and Hollywood and popular filmmaking. And I was always, you know, later in my teens and early 20s, I was drawn to more international cinema. So moving here felt like really a natural step for me. Coming to London felt like a great international city, really... I think in also coming to London too, uh, there is a sense too that there's not just one monolithic film industry. There are different ways that you can work in film, um, and it does sort of stand. It does sort of straddle that international and European independent world of independent cinema, and also you know has a relationship with American cinema. So that speaks to me as well too, because I'm really interested in all, all kinds of cinema and all kinds of cinema production and distribution. So. So it felt like a really great place to be.
0: I might be skipping forward a few steps now, but I know that you started at BAFTA in 2008. I'm wondering if you can give us a sense of maybe what precipitated that and sort of led you to the moment of applying for that job. So I spent a few years straight
1: after finishing my master's, working you know short-term contracts for London Film Festival, Lesbian and Gay Film Festival, Birkbeck, I did some teaching there in film studies, Middlesex University, I did some teaching. So there was a sort of a, a whole, I was accruing lots of different experiences. I also worked for a distributor called Malievers that later became Peccadillo Pictures. So I got a little experience in 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 distribution as well and then i worked at script at the script factory for several years and at the script factory i helped develop sort of talent and skills programs and that really led me to that BAFTA job the BAFTA job was in the first instance i applied for um, an events producing job and it was about sort of designing programs for filmmakers designing programs for the membership to take advantage of um, and it became um, something a, a little more sophisticated and complex as I worked there. But yeah, no, it was a, it was sort of, it was that eclectic interest I think in both production, distribution, and well, in all of production, distribution, and exhibition that sort of led me to to that BAFTA job. And that really has sort of defined everything I've done is that sort of inter intersection between all of those parts of the film industry.
0: Yeah, totally. And I'm wondering if you were like accruing those experiences, you know, with a goal towards something or it was just about, you know, experience and satiating all those different appetites that you had. It was absolutely the latter. I mean, I never
1: I I don't think until late in my 30s, I didn't have a very clear idea of what what I wanted to do next. And I was really, really happy just getting to work in these amazing with these amazing people and amazing organisations in a mass great experience. And I was really lucky to, you know, from from the time I was with Colin McCabe and Laura Mulvey through working with Sandra Hebron at the London Film Festival and working with Tim Hunter, who has really transformed BAFTA skills and talent programs. I just really enjoyed everything that, that I did in the industry. And it was all really useful experience, but I didn't have a clear idea about what, what next for me until later in my 30s.
0: And did that moment when you were later in your 30s, did that coincide with your time at the BFI? Is that the moment that things really started to kind of sharpen and crystallise for you?
1: It did. It did. I think possibly the moment that I, I feel like is a eureka moment for me is I saw the job advertisement for the deputy head of festivals. And it really was like, I didn't know the team at that time, but it was like someone wrote that job for me, it was really a mix of everything I'd done in the industry, everything I was passionate about, and I think that was the moment. And I'd always wanted—I loved being at BAFTA; I absolutely loved it. But I yearned for getting back to festivals and getting back to sort of more richer environment of of being part of you know sort of cultural exhibition. So that that was just that was a moment where I thought oh, not only do I desperately, desperately want this job, but I would like to, you know, build from there and, see, see, and move back into festivals and, and see where I go from that. And from there, really, I started to have a much clearer idea about, about what I wanted to do next.
0: And thinking about that job specifically and arriving at the BFI, I'm wondering how you went about sort of settling in and learning the job and, and the culture and what was expected of you. Do you remember that and that, that kind of time period for you?
1: Yeah, I remember it really well. And, you know, with festivals, anyone who's worked in festivals knows there's no sort of settling in period. You get, thrown into this incredibly fast paced and relentless really um, environment so it's a it's a sort of tough environment to work in for a long time but it's also a really thrilling invigorating environment as well too so I think really quickly I remember the very first day I started working um, it was in 2013 and I started working on the first day of member ticket sales for London Film Festival and the whole system kind Collapsed on my first first day working, and it was like it sort of having, having to sort of prob- help problem solve around that was sort of you know so much just a sort of symbolic uh you know that's what it was going to be like for for the rest of working on festivals. Not not quite so chaotic, but just having to jump in think on your feet, problem solve, try to enjoy what is sometimes, sometimes feels like a really chaotic environment when you're working on festivals. You do, it's like a production shoot, you do a lot of great planning and then you just have to be able to adapt when things go wrong or things don't go as you plan for them to go.
0: Yeah, I hear you. As someone who once um, did the social media during the LFF ticket sales for the BFI, I, uh, I sympathise with even just that kind of small section of what you must have been going through. And given the fast paced nature of it and how I, I imagine in those types of roles, you can often feel like you're playing catch up. I'm wondering how long it took you to feel like you're maybe succeeding or thriving in that role and maybe what that looked like for you.
1: It didn't take too long to feel. I mean, it really was a job that brought together all of my experience to date, you know, working with fast paced production environments, felt a bit like a film set at times, really thinking about audiences, which I'd done previously before. So it probably within sort of six months, I really felt quite confident and comfortable there. And I worked with um, Claire Stewart, who was. The director of the festival at the time and she was really terrific and I think you know I learned so much working from her I mean she's she's both which you know one of the things I think you need to be a good festival director is you need to have sort of rich mm-hmm cultural experience and sort of be passionate about cinema and have the knowledge of cinema, but you also need to be strategic as well, too. And she see, she really is like one of the most strategic thinkers that I've ever met. And it was great to see her her vision for the festival and see, Really how she wanted to grow the festival was exciting. So that didn't take me long. I mean, she was very, you know, she was a very enabling leader for me as well, too. She really gave me a lot of space and helped me develop as well, which is nice.
0: Can you talk more about that strategic thinking and what that looks like? Is that just planning ahead and, you know, always holding space for the bigger picture as you're thinking about the minutiae of like the day-to-day or the year-to-year festival? And how did you interpret that for yourself? You know, you watched Claire kind of enact that strategic thinking. What did you take from that to then be able to do it later on for yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's exactly, you've just articulated it perfectly. It's exactly that. It's like having an idea of, you know where the festival is right now and where you want it to be and holding that where you want it to be in your head as you make decisions about changes to the festival about tweaks about evolutions so that then you can and and every year it's also about measuring how you you change um and sort of seeing how she did that was was really, really, really instructive for me. I mean, I'd had a few, I'd worked with a few other people who taught me how to work strategically as well too. But it's something I really enjoy. I mean, I love thinking, I love problem solving as well too. But I, I really think, you know, there's a lot of, sometimes there's a, the industry is not great at thinking about, about strategy. It's really good about thinking about igniting passion and making getting people excited about cinema, but not necessarily the how to do that. And that is one of her real skills. And she's just taken the job as managing director at Rotterdam Film Festival, which is just great for, for Rotterdam because she will always... Um, and I think this is really important if you are a strategic leader in the industry, that you always hold the art and artist at the heart of your, and, and audiences as well, if you're working in exhibition, at the heart of your decision-making. It can't just be about the business comes second, but it always has to exist if you're a cultural leader, I think, with the the artistic thinking. And what's interesting about Claire, and I feel she is really great because not always does that strategic thinking sit with the artistic and cultural and it doesn't have to I mean you can have a really successful cultural business that has a dual leadership of someone who is more of a creative or artistic director and someone who's more of a managing director but she's definitely both of those and those are those are things that I really enjoyed as well too so it was great to to work with her and sort of develop my muscles in that way before I took on the, the leadership role there.
0: Well, yeah. Speaking of that, when you assumed the kind of acting artistic director position, and then obviously that kind of funneled you into the um, festival's director position, I'm wondering how you balance that sense of inheriting a legacy and a reputation, you know, for for Claire, but the festival, you know, as a whole, and then how you go about sort of implementing your own creative vision for the festival. You know, did that ever feel like a conflict that you had to navigate, or was that quite a sort of symbiotic process?
1: Yeah I mean it felt that like a really natural transition because I um, all of the things that all the ways that the festival developed under Claire were also part I mean she was a, a good collaborative leader as well too so there were things that I'd contributed to that Our head of business had contributed to that our you know head of guest services had contributed to so it felt like a really natural progression i mean there were some knobs and dials that i wanted to turn up definitely and that i had an opportunity the second year that Um, I was when I became full festival director, I had the opportunity to develop a a new five year strategy for the festival. And it really was a building on some of the things that we did. We really wanted to continue to turn the London Film Festival into not just a fantastic domestic festival, but something that had a real international impact. Um, And not, you know, this was in no way about personal legacy. It really comes from. A desire for the UK to have a major, major international festival that attracts industry from all over and that shines a spotlight on UK talent and that gives people who, who work in the industry and don't necessarily get to travel to Berlin or Venice or Sundance or Cannes an opportunity to have a major international film festival, you know, sitting domestically. So that we were really interested in that um, and continuing to do that. I also wanted to carry on the work that I'd started with Claire, that Claire and I had started on making the festival available to audiences outside of London as well, too. So it was building the relationship with UK-wide cinemas was a key part of what I wanted to do. I also wanted to transform... Um, continue to transform the industry part of the program um, with talent development programs and um, make sure that it was really the purpose of the industry program was to highlight how exciting the talent emerging out of the UK is.
0: I want to talk about that a little bit more because the thing that struck me about LFF in my experience of going is that it is a very filmmaker friendly festival. It, the passion that is exuded uh, you know, for the filmmakers, especially in the intros and the, the Q&As afterwards and these LFF talks, you've got access to such brilliant talent. And I'm wondering what your perspective is on how to make a festival kind of friendly to filmmakers and, and make it a space that they want to come and showcase their films and connect with audiences.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, well, first of all, London Film Festival has a really long history of very dedicated, very cine-literate audiences. So we always had a sense when I was there of filmmakers saying, God, the questions I get here are incredibly articulate and informed. So I think we had that, you know, we were building on that anyway. But it was for me about building like that connective tissue around the films and the filmmakers, so opportunities for filmmakers to get together and meet each other, dinners, receptions, you know, things that they could do when they were here in London were really important, but also trying to sort of do that the same thing with the industry program, so that if you were attending, you know, as an industry delegate, that there were lots of opportunities to meet other people who work in the industry. I mean, to that, festivals are sort of two things at once i think depending on what the festival is and london film festival really is it's a an audience facing festival with a really rich really incredibly diverse program for audiences and it can it's big enough and you know has has enough uh, variety that it can really really speak to many many different audiences but then also in parallel to that is that really important industry aspect for you know, new filmmakers to be able to come and learn from filmmakers who are showing their work and have opportunities to meet each other and build those relationships out of the festival. It's for exhibitors from around the UK to come see new films, talk about new films, hopefully take them back to their own cinemas so audiences can enjoy them there. And um, and it was always just really thinking about how we develop both sides of the festival in parallel. Um, And they're both really important. You know, you might have a a festival that does where one is is more important than the other, but um, London Film Festival, it was always really key that we kept those two things in harmony and continued to develop them.
0: Speaking of harmony, I want to spend a bit of time talking about how you enact leadership. And this will pertain to obviously your role at LFF, but also I guess your role now as head of fiction at NFTS. But I'm wondering how you go about sort of inspiring your staff, you know, galvanizing them in the context of LFF to sort of deliver a festival, particularly when it's, you know, it's a lot of time and it's it's very hectic. And what are you sort of um, doing or saying to that team to sort of bring them together?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it for me is, comes from sort of personal passion, you know, the and also getting in, rolling up your sleeves. When I worked at the Script Factory, we used to always say, you know, you need to be able to get this back when we used to do mail outs, used to be able to stuff the envelopes or do an intro or a Q&A with Mike Lee. It's like, you need to do a little bit of everything and definitely... The festivals and the the businesses that I've worked in are places where we do try to break down the hierarchy a little bit and everybody in a sense that everybody's in it together and that there's no job that's so small that you're not absolutely critical to the, the well, the, the good functioning of the team. You know, of course, when you have a festival that has as many moving parts as the London Film Festival, you can't be that granular, but you do want to just create a, a sort of sense of enthusiasm, you know, a sense of team, a sense that your doors always open. What's important aside from just personal enthusiasm is also making sure that everyone knows why you're doing what you do. so. It's important to sit down and go this is the five-year plan for the festival this is how we want to develop it and our five-year plan for the festival was broken into sort of three key parts one was about developing the industry program to shine a spotlight on UK talent and bring people it to the UK from out from all over the world. The other was about developing the public program and continuing to show an incredible range of films, but also develop that, again, to use that phrase, the connective tissue around the film. So free talks, free events, so that audiences could sort of interact with more than just the films and could be there to sort of you know, talk to each other, learn from each other, exchange and see the filmmakers as well, too, in some of those free events. And then also continue to reach out to audiences outside of the UK, um, UK wide audiences. So making sure that people really understood the directions that we were all pulling in together. And it was great because it was a busy enough festival. And there were really terrific people running different parts of the festival that you could sort of a good leader doesn't make all the decisions. A good leader takes on good people and then trusts them to develop different parts of, of the business. And I have been really lucky to work with people who've allowed me to do that. And I want to be the kind of person who, who does that as well with other people. So yeah, that was, that was the model, I think. Personal enthusiasm and then giving good people space to you know, do, do the work that they're better at than I am. That's exciting to see.
0: Absolutely. And I imagine it is very hard to distill or summarise, you know, a a jam packed five year tenure down to a highlights reel. But I'm I'm wondering if there are any moments that kind of stand out to you as what a special moment to have had in your career.
1: You know, there are just so so many of them. The last festival last year in 2022 was a really special festival for me. You know, there were great, terrific moments. You know, seeing Brendan Fraser get one of the biggest standing ovations that I ever saw with for the whale, you know, at the Royal Festival Hall. Really seeing the Royal Festival Hall start to work for the festival in the way that, you know, we'd struggled for a few years to find a big venue and finding that venue where you can accommodate, you know, two thousand people at a screening, that's a very special experience to see films together with so many people. I mean, the collective viewing experiences changes the way that you see things. In you know, it wasn't the last year I was there, but a highlight for me were was um were two highlights were being able to um do deliver screen talks with Jane Campion and Celine Sciamma who are two of my favorite filmmakers those those were really great moments i think the last year really seeing the festival develop in the way that i'd hoped that it would um was really thrilling i felt like i could leave knowing that you know i'd sort of held the space for long enough and move on and see what um, other teams can do. You know, you don't wanna clog up that, the, particularly with public funding systems. I think it's really, really important to have cultural renewal and, and move on and stay stay in long enough to be able to deliver and to move, move things on, but not so long that, that you get stuck or that you stop other people having the space to develop. So that was a nice place to leave actually last year.
0: And thinking of that moment and and the fact that you're now um, Head of Directing Fiction at NFTS, I'm wondering what appealed to you about that being your next job after such a visible position and how long maybe you spent thinking about, you know, what the next step would be? Was that something you've really had to sort of sit down and like design for yourself?
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And I think what my future will hold is, again, moving back to that sort of, you know, a number of things that I'm really interested in doing. But the the film school I love the film school it's an, yet yeah, another great cultural institution I've been really lucky to work for BAFTA and the British Film Institute and now the National Film and Television School and it really is a space I mean it allowed me to move back to some of the earlier work that I did at BAFTA you know and when I first moved to um, to the BFI uh, I developed the mentorship program the Flair mentorship program which is really you know sort of has a great legacy to it as well too at the time in 2013 there weren't many UK films and filmmakers telling LGBTQIA plus stories and luckily that's sort of moved on but also a community of filmmakers has emerged out of that mentorship program and that's one of the things that's really thrilling to me about working at film school is it is a practice-based environment and you the filmmakers are so so talented it's a master program they've already developed ideas and in most cases made work outside of the school and they come together with cinematographers who are equally talented and editors who are equally talented and have an opportunity to you know expand uh, their thinking watch new films learn from each other learn from practice um, and that's a really so I feel really privileged to be in that environment and it does move me back to some of the earlier work in an exciting way
0: yeah absolutely again pulling on those uh, early threads and I'd love to talk about how you go about sort of developing and devising a curriculum that can equip the next generation of filmmakers but sort of thinking about it very specifically in this current context and this landscape where you have directors that move quite fluidly between perhaps uh, film and tv and, and perhaps it requires greater adaptability and resilience
1: yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it does, and that's a, a key thing. I mean, the school. Th- when you look at the alumni who've emerged out of the school, I think they do speak to that diversity and that resilience. You know, you have people like more recent in the last sort of decade or so people like rose glass who is a a writer director and you have lewis arnold you have kathy brady and you have people making all kinds of films and i i think one of the great beauties of the school and one of the things that i think the school holds very dear is that the the industry isn't a monolith. There are many, many different ways that you can make films, many different ways that you can be successful. Um, and I think that is something that I um, I really value. And I want all of the directors who come out of the school not to feel like we're imposing, you know, one idea of what, how to be a successful director or what kind of career that you need to have, because there are lots of different ways. I mean, there are some filmmakers who will be more comfortable working with Small collaboration is absolutely critical, and in ensuring that you help people develop great skills for creative collaboration is critical. But you know, there are some filmmakers for whom you know having just a great DOP and an editor, and you know a composer, having a small team of collaborators feels right and natural to them. And some filmmakers who work at a different kind of scale, and it's really sort of. Trying to help people, you know, learn better skills for collaborating wherever it is that um, they fall on that spectrum. I mean, the industry does need all kinds of filmmakers coming through. You know, I think really we aren't, we never were really living the idea that the industry used to be one thing and now it's fractured, I think is a bit of an illusion anyway. But we really are living in a time where there are. So many different ways that films audiences can get to see films, and when I say films now, as well too, I think you know, as with many people, there are you know series based filmmaking has has a really close relationship with with cinema as well too. Some of the great authored, you know, these aren't necessary; they're conceived as limited series, four parts, six parts eight parts and they are, they have a a relationship to cinema as well too. They're not just sort of, you know, an old fashioned idea of of television used to be, it's shifted so much in the last two decades. And um, I think, you know, that kind of television is looking for, the same kinds of filmmakers who have a voice, who have um, a sense of a vision, sort of bold visual ideas, but also have something to say about the world that we live in. It's true that when you're thinking about developing filmmakers' craft, those two things have a real relationship. But to go back to your, your question, I think people understanding how you move in and out of those environments is really important. So, you know, you might be working as a director you know, which is the team I work with, you might be working as a director on a show where the writer is the key authorial voice and you need to be really sensitive to that and respond to that. And then you might be working on something where you are one of the key authors or the only key author and you need to be able to work in that space as well too. That's probably the most difficult thing about the school because different people respond differently to types of creative collaboration.
0: And is that just about exposure therapy and bringing in filmmakers that, you know, have talents in all those different areas and saying, you know, you could be like this or you could be like this and sort of just showcasing the broad range of types of filmmakers out there?
1: Definitely. I mean, you know, in this week, we have our directors in these last two weeks have had an opportunity to learn from. Colin Trevorrow, and who who made most recently the Jurassic World films, and he made Safety Not Guaranteed. And next week, they're going to be talking to Felix van Groganen, who made The Eight Mountains. So, you know, the range of, of cinema that they get exposed to is really, really broad. Um, and that's really important so that they can continue to hone and refine what type of filmmaker that they want to be. It, what's really exciting, too, is that every year there are 10 10 graduates and each one of them has a very, very different voice as a filmmaker. So, yeah, it's just about uh, creating lots of different opportunities for them to test their own uh, ideas. I mean, the whole school is it's we're really, really lucky. The students, there are lucky to get to be on set and be producing um, films they they work on three major productions while they're there and that's important and across those productions they get to collaborate with different cinematographers and work with different editors and work with different composers and and start to um, build those relationships as well. So yes, it is about providing lots of different experiences um, and through that, Hopefully we are building filmmakers who will go out and have several, many different ways to um, try to make a living once they leave the school and do what they love doing, which is making, making films and television.
0: And then I'm also wondering, I guess, you know, from my perspective, at least, you have really risen to sort of the upper echelons of the film industry. You know, you hold a position of great power, but, you know, you're also a great inspiration um, to myself. I can only speak for myself. Um, But I'm wondering how you continue to evolve or seek out new challenges and experiences when you have amassed this kind of great experience already.
1: I mean, well, thank you very much. That's very generous because I also um, respect and value your work so much too. And
0: I think, you know,
1: finding new challenges, it really is constantly just about, I mean, I feel it sounds like a, a platitude, but it's so, it isn't. I feel so lucky to get to do what I do, and I love continuing to educate myself and find new challenges. Every day feels really exciting and like a new new challenge to me. Um, I'm lucky to get to also now work with students who are at the very beginning of their professional journey, and that has been really exciting and interesting for me. I mean, if you can't keep your enthusiasm for the industry working with emerging filmmakers, then you know you you need to leave the industry but you know constantly i'm constantly surprised and excited by by all of the talent that i see in the uk um, and internationally i think every year of cinema you know it just gets better and better i love love what i do so it's not very hard to stay inspired
0: is that a constant state of loving what you do does that enthusiasm ever waver and if so how do you refresh that curiosity or that passion
1: it's a fairly constant state of enthusiasm i mean but it is i constantly feed it i mean i see films almost every day um every other day even now when i'm not working in exhibition I try to watch a film every day, every other day when I can. I try to read. I go to the theater. I see friends. I mean, I think having a really rich cultural life keeps you excited. But yes, of course, I mean, I think the pandemic was really hard for everybody and, you know, emerging out of that. I, I'm sure, um, you know, lots of people feel like they need to get back in touch with the things that got them excited about you know, doing what they do and it's been a hard time to work in the industry. So it, it definitely takes work to keep yourself excited, but it's fun work to do. You know, making sure that you feed feed your cultural brain is so, so important.
0: Yeah, totally. I kind of see it as like a little sim that you have to kind of check in on and keep its hygiene rating up. <laughs> I'd love to also ask, you know, whether there's a piece of advice that you've been given that has steered your career or perhaps that you would just give, you know, in the context of this podcast probably the
1: best piece of advice that I've ever given been given and I'm sure it chimes with every single thing I've just said to you in the last time we've been talking is really just to follow your own passions I don't think uh, people constantly ask me the question how did you how did you end up doing what you're doing in the industry and there isn't one path I mean if If there was, the industry would probably be a lot more boring than it is. You have to just sort of make sure that you're always interested um, in what you're doing. Make sure that you're always feeding that, that sim, your own personal sim. Make sure that you're challenging yourself. Make sure that you're learning. And really, if you do that and... I I do believe that you know it's what I just tell my kids it's like there's there are no rules um you just have to make sure that you really love what you do um and if you don't love what you do then it, I know this is a luxurious position to be able to say this but if you don't love what you do you know don't keep doing it
0: and then finally I would love to know if there is a film uh, and that can include a limited series by a woman director uh, that you would like to recommend today
1: one thing I've just seen recently that um, is going to be released in the UK is the Palme d'Or winner, um, Anatomy of a Fall from Justine Trier, which uh, just is such a great, it was such a, a rich reworking of um, the courtroom drama. I mean, like Alice Diop's Saint-Omer last year, which I thought also was really interesting it uses i mean there are lots of sort of genre elements to it it's a, it's ultimately a drama but it uses the structure of the courtroom drama to explore sort of systemic issues and in this film in particular uh, you know, one of the things that's so interesting is the way that heteronormativity is imposed and the way that sort of gender nonconformity is on trial, ultimately. I mean, you know, that makes it sound a little more on the nose. It's a very subtle, very intelligent film, but I just love the sort of revitalization of, um, of the courtroom drama. But I've been thinking also a lot about Claire Denis and how um, wonderful her work is and revisiting it a lot recently. And I I think she's a filmmaker for me that who is one of the greatest living filmmakers and her work is super exciting, not just because of individual films that she's made, but I've loved watching her work as, and thinking about it as a, a body of work in conversation with itself as well too. There aren't that many filmmakers who for whom i you know that that that's true and she's she's so prolific and every film is, so, is sort of startling and and really exciting and interesting and she she's constantly sort of pushing herself to explore different formal ideas and generic ideas and i I'd, I'd say for for the filmmakers that i work with i I'd, I'd really urge them to go out and see as many of her films as as they can so i'd always Recommend Claire Denis, but see five or six. Don't don't limit yourself to one.
0: Yeah, and, and and preferably in order. But you're you're so right. You were sort of talking there about giving the filmmakers at NFTS like the confidence to go out and test ideas, and and it feels like you know Claire Denis is a filmmaker that has like never lost that spirit of just testing ideating you know maybe failing but it sort of it it building this body of work that is just so so unique and so singular
1: absolutely I mean her ability to sort of push herself in different directions and explore new ideas with with every film is I mean I really can't Think of many filmmakers, contemporary filmmakers, who are sort of re- as risk-taking as she is. Um, it's so exciting to see her continue to do that over, you know, what is it, sort of four decades of work now.
0: Absolutely, Trisha. Thank you so so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure for me to talk with you. Um, I'm so glad to have had you on Basquel Grip. Oh, thank you, Nicole. It's been a pleasure for me too. thank you for listening to this episode of best girl grip if you liked what you heard please do rate review and subscribe spread the good word etc if you're interested in other conversations of this ilk listen to my episodes with head of screen arts at nfts sandra hebron and former director of sundance film festival tabitha jackson in the meantime have a great week and i'll be back next friday with a brand new episode